<laughs> you set the goal so micro and so small that you're guaranteed to give yourself a win and feel good about it. They celebrate it, be excited about it because then you're more likely to do it again versus the other way people go is like, I'm going to floss every day, twice yeah. a day for a week. No, you're not. If you've never flossed again, if you've never flossed before, very unlikely, right? And then you feel bad and then you quit and then you don't do it again. That's true for everything. Life, business, relationships, health, all of it. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid, the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams, a Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, and occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome OT entrepreneurs to the OTs Get Paid podcast. Today, we are welcoming you to episode 90 Three, where we're going to talk about all things niche. I've heard from a few clients lately. One of them was in a panic and they said, Trish, you're never going to believe it. Somebody just opened a pelvic health clinic down the street for me in my town. Oh no. Or something I heard last month, which was, I can't compete with physical therapists. We call them physios here in Canada. You know, I'm Canadian bias here in this pod. I'm an OT who uses physical fitness as my main intervention for kids with ADHD. How am I going to compete with all the physios and the personal trainers out there? Or you could be me in 2018 when I started Spring OT, the bricks and mortar pediatric clinic here in Calgary, Alberta. And I saw anybody from 18-year-olds with autism to four-year-olds with fine motor issues. Come on in, I would say. The water's warm. You call me, you're between the ages of birth and 18. I got you. Now, I wasn't panicked like my first client that I mentioned, and I wasn't worried about competition like the second client I mentioned. I was buried under system after system after system. It was death by paper cuts. 
And our next guest actually describes this problem. Spoiler, it's about getting a niche. As protecting yourself from the enemy. That's a quote from them. And the solution, what is it? It's about not just choosing a niche, but building a moat. Our next guest talks a lot about how it's not. Please continue to listen because this is not just another rant about riches are in your niches, or as in Canada, we say niche. So is it riches are in your niches? I'm not sure. <laughs> I've gotten laughter. Thank you so much. <laughs> so our next guest says Corey is his name and marketing and business is his game. He has a podcast, so wait till you hear his audio. It's awesome. And he knows how to keep a conversation going. And he's been podcasting for over a year and he's fallen in love with the process, which is why he's here. He loves interviewing the brightest minds in the health and fitness industry. And he's recently moved to Austin from Minnesota. And he talks about how these health and fitness industry experts have built their businesses and the lessons they've learned along the way. His podcast is called The Health Hustle. And he's going to tell you a little bit more, but he talks to physios, chiropractors, functional med docs, personal trainers, and everyone in between. And he has leaned in to a marketing niche and how to build a business that fits your lifestyle. So I'm very excited today to welcome Corey Hibben. Welcome. Thanks. That was a great intro. I'm actually very impressed. You clearly do your research. (laughs) I I do. And you know what? Before we started, I should have asked you, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You crushed it. You did, yeah. With a last name like Williams, (laughs) I don't often, I I should remember to ask people more. Okay. So Corey, we're going to start out with the question that we ask people on the regular, which is how do you get paid? Meaning tell us more about yourself and what you do. So other than the drug dealing, I'm just kidding. Uh, the the main sources of income. <laughs> That's cash flow. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Especially in Texas where there's no state tax. You can get away with that. But, uh, nice. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness. So main business uh, endeavors for me is marketing agency in terms of website design and development for people just like the audience listening to the show. OTs, PTs, Kairos, doctors. Uh, the podcast show that I host as well. And then there's actually a third component of it as well. Of I do a lot of community building here in Austin of bringing together those same types of people on a regular basis just to connect, to network, to add value, to collaborate. And so those are really the three pillars of where I spend 99.9% of my time. So, Tell me more about how you build that community. Yeah, it was one of those classic entrepreneur endeavors of if it doesn't exist, create it yourself uh-huh. type deal. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to Austin, there's a thriving, massive, just health wellness community here, which a lot of people know about, but there was nothing really bringing those business owners together. And it literally started out as a walk just along the river in downtown Austin here mm-hmm. of a couple of us getting together just to connect and socialize and talk business and whatever. And there, were, I'll admit there was times where nobody showed up. It was maybe just me or maybe it was just a friend. And it was it was kind of uh, discouraging in a lot of ways as I tried to build this community in the beginning of it. But now I can safely say today we have over 500 pushing 600 members now part of this community. Uh, we have our next meeting actually this coming month. We do it now every month. Every first Thursday of every month we do it. And it's grown into something far bigger and greater than I ever anticipated uh, but it's been just a game of consistency and sticking with it and trusting the audience here in Austin. And it's it's been great. It's been honestly like one of the most fulfilling things I've done. So yeah. It sounds a bit like the secret to building a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And if there's although 
it's it's less hard if you don't see as many downloads than <laughs> it would be if you're sitting in a park and nobody shows up and sees yes. your face. There is a punch to the ego when yep. you invite a bunch of people and you're standing yep. on a bridge waiting for people to show up and go on this walk and you're the only one. <laughs> oh so, so I, I actually, I mean, I, I want to jump ahead to that fist on the table moment of what you started, what made you start all of this. But I'm, I actually want to know from a business point of view, because, you know, all of these people, almost every OT entrepreneur I talk to wants to make a bigger impact and has a passion. And you're very entrepreneurial and say, hey, this didn't exist. I want to build it. So the business consultant in me says, what is the ROI on that for your business, the return on the investment? I talk a lot about that with actually other community builders here in town, because luckily in a city like this, there's a lot of other people doing similar things. And one of my favorite conversations on it is the intangibles of it. I think that there was a lot of push early on, even from other people seeing it and wanting to contribute and wanting to help and talking about like, are you going to charge tickets? Are Mm -hmm. you going to have like an event? Are you going to get sponsorships? And I think those are all great ideas. But the way that I look at it, and I think the value in it for me is actually more just the intangibles of bringing people together and being the person that did that. And I think a lot about the spider web of networking, of when you are that when you're that web between two people as to why they connected and the value that they get out of that and how that always circles back to me in some weird, odd, unique way that I never saw coming of getting invited to secret private events or to staying at people's houses in other cities that they invite you to, to just the intangibles of how that's shown up, I would say is by far the biggest ROI than any sort of monetary value that I could have got out of that community. I'm glad you answered it that way because I was hoping you would because as a marketer, I I never want to devalue intangibles, right? People often think as the OTs get paid person, it has to have a, a, a dollar value attached to it. And it really doesn't. I mean, you know, to have like no interest to be the expert. I think, isn't it Malcolm Gladwell that calls you a connector? Having a foot in all those worlds. Yeah, I'm talking about together. super connectors and yes. Yeah, yep. I think it was a Malcolm Gladwell sitch. Um, and opportunities that have also come from that. I want to hear. No, I don't. But maybe offline, you can tell us about secret parties. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fabulous. As I sit in my, you know, bedroom. Hey, Trish. Yes, Ashley? As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh. I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my client started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and needed something this efficient. Okay, so where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. Closet doing a podcast. Thinking I don't go well, enough to secret events. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. And especially like a town like this where there's yeah. so many entrepreneurs and CEOs and business owners here. I was actually yeah. just talking to a friend of mine recently. She's a professional pickleball player. And nice. Pickleball is massive here. And not that long ago, if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, he was here and like 
talking about pickleball and one of these private events. And it's just like a network of community that you would never think you'd be a part of. And somehow you're just like rubbing shoulders with these people. And it's like, wow, like this is purely from just building community and helping people and connecting them. That's wonderful. Let's go to the fist on the table moment, the moment where you were like, oh, there's got to be a better way from where you started through OT to now. Yeah. And so just to give people the context, I mean, obviously I'm an occupational therapist as well. And I was working in practice for a number of years. Um, and like a lot of people that I think they can relate with is that there's an aspect of, especially in this insurance-based model in the States, I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but there's a, for sure a component of just massive burnout Yeah, is that you're forced to see a lot more patients because you have to try to keep the lights on because you're making up for the fact that you're often not reimbursed for so much of the work that you're doing. And I worked with a hand surgeon, not that I, I specialized in hand therapy, but I worked mm. in a hand surgeon specifically that he was seeing 70 to 80 patients a day. Holy cow. And obviously that was turning into surgeries, which was turning into just a ton of patients on my plate. So there was a combination of that massive burnout of just seeing an outrageous number of people. And then there was another moment that was really the tipping point, like really the fist on the table that you're talking about. And it was a conversation with my boss at the time. And this is nothing against her as a human. I don't want to like degrade her in any way. It was just a conversation that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I remember sitting down for a meeting late in the week and she was there. She had this list of things that she wanted to talk about in terms of just work, business, clients, whatever, patients, all that sort of thing. And there was one topic on this list that I will never forget. And she brought up the fact that on one of the Fridays there, I had worn these black jeans. And literally, actually, I'm probably, I'm wearing them right now, actually. And I remember... <laughs> And I remember she's your act of rebellion. <laughs> and uh, put your stake in the sand. <laughs> and I remember, I remember her talking about that. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I wore black jeans last Friday. And like, what about it? Right. And apparently it was like out of dress code and it was out of alignment with whatever the company was going with at that time. And I remember in that moment, moment in my brain thinking, I'm never going to have a conversation like this again. Like there's so many more important things that I care about in this world of like, how can we provide better patient care? How can we get better outcomes? How can we get reimbursed more for the work that we're doing? Like there's so many other things that we could have been talking about. We were talking about my attire. And I was like, this is insane to me of like, <laughs> and it was, that was the moment for me. That was the fist on the table moment. And obviously I didn't like slam my fist and quit at that moment. There was a lot of other things that had to happen to get me out of there. But that was for sure an eye opener of me of like, I don't, I couldn't care less. That That's something I literally could not care less about. And we're talking about it. So. Wow. That's a good story. And so tell us about your personal journey, because I think it's really interesting. Pre-OT through OT to where you are now. Yeah. So we would have to rewind a little bit. Honestly, like I would say it's really started at the age of 17 for me of I, at the time, was dating a girl who was in high school, obviously. And we broke up. And at that time, I'm young and dumb and full of hormones and had no idea what I was doing. And it completely crushed me, destroyed me to the point of like depression, very sad, suicidal thoughts. And my mom saw a lot of it at the time. And she quote unquote jokes that it's, it was my dark side, as she likes to say. <laughs> and at the time, uh, she was going to the local YMCA gym and she started inviting me to go to the gym. And at that moment... I was so miserable. I would do anything, literally anything just to not feel so terrible. And so I started going to the gym with my mom. And I remember leaving that gym the very first time that I went there and just feeling a little better. 
not like cured, not like happy, not like good, just a little better than I did prior to going to the gym. A few days go by, my mom invites me again, same thing. I go to the gym, I leave, I feel a little bit better. Do that for a number of months and all of a sudden I'm not depressed anymore. I'm actually feeling like a normal human again. And I, I think about that literally all the time now because it, it distilled in my brain. It's hardwired in my brain now that I now associate some degree of just movement, exercise, health with general happiness and well-being. And I pretty much followed that journey ever since then. So that felt, that put me into undergraduate school for exercise science, graduated with exercise science, got out, started working as a physical therapy for a number of years, which is when I started learning about marketing, which is what I do today. Because obviously as a, or excuse me, I say physical, physical therapist, I mean, personal trainer, um, personal trainer, started working as a trainer. And then that was a big degree of learning about marketing and sales because as a personal trainer, that's a huge component of what you do. I'd argue it's probably the biggest component of what you do. Um, and that was when I first started learning some of that stuff. But I also wanted more education. I also wanted to learn more about this health thing, this wellness thing, which ultimately led me to occupational therapy. So that was the next pursuit for me is after working for a personal trainer for a number of years, went back to undergraduate school in Iowa, actually. Don't recommend going there. Uh, I, I call it doing my time. <laughs> there was nothing great there. <laughs> but uh, so I <laughs> spent a few years in Iowa, uh, got my occupational therapy degree, graduated, went back to Minnesota, which is where I'm originally from, worked for a few years um, as an OT, doing some of the outpatient stuff, specialized in hand therapy. That was really like the niche that I started going into. And, and then, yeah, kind of back to where the original conversation started of like, that's when I started getting patient burnout, realizing this wasn't the path for me, started building other skills outside of OT of learning how to do websites, learning how to do marketing. I was actually responsible for a lot of our marketing for our OT team, actually, specifically while I was working there, which is where I picked up a lot of those skills. Um, and yeah, and now we're, we're here today doing the, doing the thing. I do want to add my two cents here and people that listen I'm sure it's the same with your podcast audience. Like anytime they get on a call with me to work with me or when they are working with me, they get like all fluttery and they're like, I can't believe it. I'm talking to you. Like I listen to you all the time. <laughs> and I think that's partly because I share quite a bit of my story, just like you shared your story. And I want to tell you that this is happening to my son right now. So my son, who is 22, well, he's 22 in a month. He just graduated from uh, his first degree program, his first post-secondary education, and he just moved back home and he's looking for his real job. And he uh, has a diploma in sound engineering. He started out at it doing a BFA in electronic music. And Crazy. I was like, that's not music. Like, I'm like <laughs> my mother with like, or my grandmother when she first heard Elvis. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to do a BFA in music that's just a bunch of noise? Um that makes me sound incredibly old, and I admit it. But <laughs> at any rate, Charlie, and he's he's allowed me to share this story quite publicly. He really struggled with his mental health for quite a bit. And it wasn't a breakup per se. It was like a real diagnosis that he struggled with. It was one of the reasons he actually left his undergrad to go pursue a diploma. And so he's recently moved back home, like very recently. And he is just a fitness guru. Like he goes all the time. And he looked me in the eye and said, this is the number one thing I do for my health. And now he just got a job as a personal trainer, <laughs> nice. which he's loving. Like his dream career right now is like always have a personal training, I think as a skill, like Hormozy, Alex Hormozy is like, listen, get yourself a skill because you'll never work, you know, uh, 
a minimum wage job again, right? Like his, totally. you know, you know, with the the and they're going to pay him to take the course. Now he goes from like I don't know, fifteen an hour, whatever minimum wage is, to like twenty five, thirty an hour, no matter what he does. But he always wants to have an, a a foot in sound and and physical fitness. And he's like, Mom, I don't know if I would take a full time sound job right now. Like this is really important to me. And to kind of pull it even more together, we talk a ton about sales and marketing. A ton. Like I give him all my marketing stuff. And that's actually one of the reasons he wants this job is because he knows it's going to help with whatever he does with sound in the future. So when he has like, you know, his dream, I don't know, uh, who would his dream musical agency be? I can't even think of it right now, but like he, he'll know how to be an independent contractor or he'll know how to like not just be the technician, but be the person that can add in a marketing sales capacity to any sound program or company that he joins. So I hope that wasn't boring. What I was trying to do is add like a little personal flavor flavor and to your story, because I think that's really legitimate. I'm hearing that again and again and again. And it really solidifies one of the reasons we want to continue to talk about marketing, right? Because yeah, it's so key in so many areas. I'm really glad you shared that because I think there's there's so much to be learned from the skill sets that I was told are the most important skill set for any business owner across the board is sales, marketing, writing, and speaking. Yeah. Like those are four of the most organic, important skills that you can develop. And if you get good at those things, especially earlier on in your career, you can literally take those to everything and anything you've ever wanted to do from a business adventure-wise. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we want to jump into niche, but before that, we always ask our guests about their income and their impact goals, whether it was last year, whether it was going forward. Tell the listeners more about that for your company right now. Yeah. So I'm calling it the year of the 10K. And what I mean by that is that I'm pushing towards this number of 10K for basically everything I'm doing in my endeavors. And I realize that because at the end of every single year, I do a yearly review. I do a lot of the review stuff. I love a yearly review. Yeah. Weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly. Those are my review times. But so when so when I did it this uh, at the end of this last year, that number kept showing up for me in terms of um, that amount of income in those businesses, 10K per month in each one of those businesses, 10,000 followers on a newsletter, 10,000 downloads on an episode. Like So that number kept showing up again and again and again. And so that's really just the n- round number that I'm thinking about a lot now these days of like everything I'm moving towards is that 10K number in all of those realms in terms of people in the community in terms of amount of money that's coming into the business and also the podcast show that I'm doing as well as like per episode. So yeah. Do you track? Well, I'm sure you do. So maybe it's not do you, but it's what do you see in terms of the number of people that either download the podcast or the number of people that get on your email list and how it equates how much you sell that month? Man. That is a huge and amazing question because I'm sure you are dealing with the same thing as well. Yeah. Um, so the I was I'll tell you, so there's two parts of that. The one side of that is from the podcast realm, as you know, it's really hard to see any sort of uh, basically carryover from that stuff because like who knows where people are actually listening to a lot of the stuff, how many downloads you actually have, like especially if you're on other platforms. Yep. And so in like seeing a direct correlation from the podcast side of things, I would say is at this moment, it's changing. I know Google is moving towards the direction of having more statistics about it. I just saw Spotify put up a bunch of stuff. YouTube is actually literally just, I don't know if you're aware of this, they're literally just getting on board with the YouTube or the podcasting game. 
of they actually now have a section specifically for podcast shows on YouTube, which is going to help with searching tremendously because obviously they're owned by Google. So from the podcast side of things, really hard to say. (laughs) I can't give any direct correlation from that. However, from the newsletter email side of things, 100%. The carryover and the power of a newsletter is outrageous. Still today, people think it's dead. It's not. Mm -hmm. And so there's a direct correlation of if you have a high number of really quality people on your newsletter that are specific to the people you actually want to help and serve and them actually turning into actual paid clients and customers a thousand percent in keep in mind though there's a business model there right where like more often than not you want to offer some sort of free value to get them on the list then there's often usually some sort of smaller value offer of like we'll say from 49 to 100 dollars which basically just gets them into committed to buying something that you have a value and then there's a high ticket offer which is for you probably consulting so there is a bit of a bit of a business model there but the amount of people that you have on the list no question do you have a percentage goal in mind for conversion of how many the percentage of people on your list that will buy from you Yes. So for me, it's like 20, 30% of Ooh, initial high. of initial offer. So that's like oh, a low, it. so that's like a low ticket offer of okay. course or some sort of small value offer, mm-hmm. which is a lot easier once they have that to do the higher ticket offer of your consulting or some sort of bigger program. But yeah, and yeah no, great. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be 20 or 30% for like a high yeah, premium like, okay, consulting. He's gotta teach me some no. stuff right now. <laughs> no. I'm hijacking this interview. No. It's gonna be me, me, me. No. Yeah, no, that's we are actually what you're calling a low ticket offer. I am now calling a paid lead magnet. Kind Same of six of one F doesn't the other, right? Because again, it really comes down to the quality of the lead. Plus, I find, especially in the podcast world, we're talking about so much, we haven't even really gotten to the hook here. So in the podcast world, I'm really fascinated by the people, and I don't quite know how to do this yet. People who are the consumers of the information, which is like Every OT in the world is like, oh, all I need is more training. All I need is more information. And I actually totally don't believe that anymore. And I'm getting all this free information and it's so good and I'll just piece it all together versus people who actually want to raise their hand and either buy and or implement, right? I'm fascinated by that, like that apex. I haven't figured it out yet. Totally agree. I mean, it reminds me of literally just a conversation I had with two really good friends of mine here in Austin. We got together for coffee. We were going to be together for an hour and it turned into a four-hour conversation. Mm -hmm. And the reason it did is they're two really good friends of mine who are literally just beginning their entrepreneurship journey. They're just starting their businesses. And we were like, they were struggling with what I have, and I'm sure you've seen more often than not, is that they have these grandiose ideas, but they forget that they have to pull it all the way back to a micro moment of like, Mm -hmm what is the smallest problem you can solve for somebody at its most micro level to get them a really quick psychological win so that they're even interested in anything else you have to offer? That's cool that you can do all these amazing things. But if you can't pull it all the way back to this tiny little dot of this micro problem that they have, it's kind of irrelevant, right? You have Mm -hmm. to give people what they need or give them what they want before you can get them what they need Mm -hmm. in so many cases. So Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that's an ism. Those are few isms in there, which is, (laughs) A nice segue into what we want to talk about. Micro, micro equals like niche, right? So diving into like the meat, although there's so much value in the beginning of all of this to date. um, Let's talk about that your 
specific, specific problem that you solve when you talk about niche. So I loved that quote that I, I just talked about at the beginning. Like, it's not just another rant about riches are in the niches. Tell me why you have the opinion or the, the pillar of the philosophy that you don't just have a niche, you actually build a moat. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So this idea came from an interview I did on my own show with a girl by the name of Angela Gargano. She's great. Her whole thing is she used to be a ninja warrior and Mm -hmm. now she teaches females for the most part how to do pull-ups. Right? That's pretty specific. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I want to give a little context around that though for other people listening because I think so often it's like, yeah, she just like picked how to give people pull-ups and like that's how she figured it out. And it was like, no. That's not how she figured out is that she threw a lot of spaghetti at the wall before she finally found something that other people were resonating with and they were asking her for it, right? So this article specifically that you're referring that I talk about is there's really three things that need to come together for a good niche or a good way of understanding it. Like this is a thing that's actually working for people and actually can add value to people. And it's what are you interested in? That's the first one. The second one is your skills. What are you good at? And the third one is what does the market actually demand? And just to give you an idea of each one of those is your interest is really important. I think people often skip this one and they go straight straight to like, what is something that's going to make me a lot of money, mm. right? That's a bad way to approach it. And the reason really? is, is because if you're not at the very forefront interested in it, people know and they will sense that and they will pick up on it. And not only that, you're not going to do it for the long term. And if you're not doing it for the long term, it's a bad idea. Right. So it starts with interest. And for Angela, that was a very simple one. She's into Ninja Warrior. She's into climbing on stuff. She's into jumping around and doing all these weird things and hanging on bars and teaching other people how to hang on bars for a long time. So that was really easy for her. Right. So it started with an interest. It's like she already likes this stuff. She's in Ninja Warrior. The second component of it is like, what are you good at? What are your skill sets at? Right. And again, going back to this original example where this idea come from is that she was already good at it. She was competing at a very high level at it. She was already having to do pull-ups and to hang and climb and do all these things that were already challenging for her upper body strength, which is often common for other females. So she had the skill set. And for anyone listening, you don't have to be the master of it, right? You don't have to be like the ninja warrior of your topic or whatever it is. You just have to be a couple steps ahead of the other person that you're wanting to help with. So that's the second component of it. And then the last part of it is where most people jump to initially, as opposed to like doing it as the third part of it in the market. What does the market actually want? And a good example of this is recently, I had another girl on the show. She talks a lot about sobriety. And I put a post up on uh, LinkedIn recently of that podcast interview that I had. And I was basically talking just about my own sobriety journey, just for whatever reason, because it was relatable. It was something that I, I posted recently that I haven't had. I've had one drink in the past year. And I basically just talked about how that affected my life. And it exploded. Like... Everyone resonated with it. There was a whole bunch of comments and it was like, oh, okay. Clearly there's a market interest in this because I saw it show up on the internet and it started trending all over the place. And it was like, clearly this sobriety thing has like a market value in it. Not that that's the market that I want to be in or that I want to go into, but it was just interesting to see how putting it out there was showing that there's actually a market demand for it. And so when you see those three things line up is the interest, the skills, and the market actually asking for it. Now you found yourself a little as most people call niche, but as I call a moat, is that that starts to separate you from anybody else. Because when those three things come together in your life personally, there's really no competing with anybody else because like you're interested in it, you have the skill set to do it, and the market already wants it. And so it's like that really just shows a way that you can separate yourself from trying to 
compete, I guess, with other people in the same marketplace. Mm. How does somebody who might not have a huge social media following, I'm thinking about point number three, where you are testing the market, right? Where you are seeing what the market, because that's, I mean, that's the MBA answer, right? It's like, how much do you charge? Whatever the market will bear, right? Um, What do you put out there? Whatever the market demands. But that's, I want to get my teeth into this a little bit more for people that are listening, because I can hear their questions, which is, yeah, but what if I don't have like a bunch of people that are following me on LinkedIn and I already know I want to see X type of client? What are other ways that they can continue to niche down if they aren't seeing reaction on social media? Totally. So the thing I tell my consulting clients as well is people underestimate the value of conversations and just listening to the words that they actually use. And and so I'm literally working with a client right now who he's starting his business and we're helping him out with getting some of his branding, his marketing and his offer and all the things that come together. And, (laughs) And it was like, well, have you started talking to these people yet? What are the words that they use? Mm -hmm. What's the language that you're seeing showing up? And so like our actually literally next week, our next call is about that exact topic is like he set a goal for himself that he wanted to have at least five conversations with the people that he wanted to work with by our next call. And I recommend recording. He doesn't have to, but like recording the calls or recording the conversations and literally just what is the verbiage that they're using? What are they talking about? What's What are their challenges? Like what are their fears? What are their worries? What are their goals? What are their ambitions? What excites them? Right. And so I often actually think that that can be better than social media in a lot of cases because social media can oftentimes pull in other people that maybe aren't the people you wanted to work with anyways. And now you're getting feedback from people that you really aren't going to want to work with or don't end up working up with at the end of the day. And so I think honestly, just having conversations and listening and actually paying attention is probably far more valuable than just like putting stuff out there and hoping the right people seem to find it. Yeah, I love that. I say the same thing. And in fact, way back when, so I think the last time I was teaching, I had a final assignment and it was building a core competency program. Anyways, I won't get into the assignment, but I actually created after a few years of running this assignment and not having anybody in the class reach out to a real person. Like they just Googled what would an OT do kind of thing. I actually created like an entire section of the rubric, which was like, how many OTs did you talk to about this core competency treatment program? What is their phone number? Like I literally had them submit a log and they looked at me like I had horns growing out of my head. (laughs) And I remember just being so convinced and they were like, well, they don't answer the phone. I'm like, not my problem. Like it's not email and it's certainly not following them on social media and it's not a DM and it's not like, I admit it was probably a little intense, but I was trying to prove a point, which is like, talk to people, don't just Google it. And I never made a connection until right now between like that skill set being important in so many different ways. And I'm often, I think it's also like, I'm I'm old, right? So I think it's just something that, we naturally did back in the day when there was no social media. And I think, you know, the younger generation now just doesn't think to do it because the answers are at your fingertips, right? And there is something that you really do miss if you don't go out and talk to the people that are doing the thing or that 
want the thing, right? And it's also scary, right? Oh, I, uh, talk I more th- about that. Well, yeah, I think there's so much fear behind, well, what if they reject it? Or what if they don't like it? Or what if they think my idea is dumb? Or even just anxiety about having a conversation or reaching out to somebody and what if they ignore you or what if they don't want to have a conversation and so i think there's just also a lot of fear behind it as opposed to it's way more comfortable than to just hide behind a keyboard and type and text and email or whatever it's so. like asking people to meet you in ladybird park <laughs> in austin texas exactly i think i've heard that story recently yes okay so let's lean into this because the fear of people's opinions. Can you build a business and not put yourself out there? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, that is a fun question. I'm not dogmatic on anything in my life. Great. So I'm not I'm not I gonna am, s- so we're good, we're good ballots. <laughs> okay, go. So I'm I'm not gonna say no. I, okay. I gotta think there's an exception out there. However, Perfect. Right. I would I say love a superlative. I'm like, I'm, I'm dub- doubling down. So I love your answer. Keep going. <laughs> However, I will say more often than not, no. <laughs> but yeah, I, I got to think there's exceptions out there. I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't think so. I think, yeah, there's always a degree of whether it's your ideas, your ego, your, your belief systems, like they're going to be challenged, no question. I had someone not to talk about the show again, but she's an no, incredible entrepreneur here in town. She's more in the fitness industry. And she was talking a lot about how entrepreneurship for her has been the greatest personal development tool right. she's ever experienced in her life, right? All in terms time. of it shows all your demons and your fears it and your insecurities, all my crap. <laughs> everything, everything. I've saved money on therapy and actually made money. <laughs> By becoming an entrepreneur. I'm dead serious. I talk about that all the time. It's wild. Yeah. You can't you can't hide from any of it nope. because like if you're not if you're not moving towards the direction that you want to go, it's probably something inside, right? It's probably something you're dealing with, a fear, an anxiety, a worry, a past trauma, whatever. Like it's gonna show up in your life slash your business. No question. How do you recommend that people get over their darn selves and put themselves out there more? So I've learned from other just behavioral psychologists in general that there's really two ways that change happens. And one of them is traumatic events, like the fist on the table moment, the car accident, the you get, your doctor tells you you're going to die if you don't start eating this, or just eating a certain way or exercising or taking care of yourself. So there's the extreme moments, the dire situations. I think that's the one of the ways that most people are aware of, of how change really happens in their life. And the other one are the micro moments, the habits, the behaviors, the tiny little baby wins that you get along the way. One of my favorite authors, BJ Fogg, he talks a lot about that. He wrote a book called Tiny Habits. And the quote that I pull from that book that I think about a lot is that he says, we change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And And what he means by that is that, take for example, if you had the goal of you wanted to start working out, do one push up a day. Could you do one push-up a day? Probably. And you'd feel good about it, right? So you'd continue to do it and you would keep doing it. Versus if you set the goal, I'm going to do 20 push-ups a day, and then you don't do it one day, now you feel bad about yourself. And now you're far less likely to do it again, right? I think the exact same thing is true to your original question 
of how do we overcome some of this fear and anxiety about maybe starting a business or talking to some of our customers or whatever it is, is that I think more often than not, it's going to come from micro wins. It's going to be set that goal so freaking small that you're almost guaranteed to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So literally it could be like, I'm going to have one conversation with one client or customer this week. This week. Yeah. That's it. Do that. Celebrate it. Be like, that's awesome. That's amazing. I did that. Now do it again next week. Now do it a week again, right? One a week. You could for sure do that. There's no question you could do that, right? But then that starts a snowball effect. And that's true for every area of life. Like right? obviously we're talking about business. That's true for everything. You want to start flossing? Floss one tooth. <laughs> well, really two? Sure. I mean, do two, no, right? Can you, like, can you floss one tooth? I was getting. Oh, I see what you're saying. Between two, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was I getting semantic. <laughs> I was trying for a humor angle. Okay, keep going. Keep I going. Know, that was great, it. actually. I like okay, that. Thank one. you. <laughs> you two words with one stone. That's phenomenal. Oh my gosh! Right. I just I'm like talk about a micro win. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my point, though. Right? Is like you set the goal so micro and so small that you're guaranteed to give yourself a win and feel good about it. They celebrate it, be excited about it, because then you're more likely to do it again. Versus the other way people go is like, I'm gonna floss every day, twice yeah. a day for a week. No, you're not. If you've never flossed again, if you've never flossed before, very unlikely, right? And then you feel bad, and then you quit, and then you don't do it again. That's true for everything: mm-hmm. life, business, relationships, health, all of it. So, I like that you're not being didactic and saying there's people that either are built with an outer shell and that can handle it. And there's people that just can't um, because I've seen it written in so many different ways, which is like you quite literally have to embrace failure in order to be an entrepreneur. My advice, and I'm curious, I really want your opinion based on you know what you know and your approach. My advice is what I tell people to do is to, and because it worked for me, is to keep a list by your on your desk or on your computer and I call it the top three fails. Now, mm. I say, choose your time. Like if it's the top, now I, now I fail three times a day. Easy, maybe 20 times a day. But back then when I was so afraid of leaning into failure that I would actually, because I'm a person, I'm a good girl. I was like sat in the front of the room, right? I like got good grades. I'm the oldest. Here we go. There's me. Um, you know, I, I needed having a list that reminded me <laughs> that I needed to track my failures worked really well. But it wasn't 20 fails a day like it is now. It was maybe one fail a month, right? Two fails a month. And that was kind of a reminder because I'm such a list-oriented person. I'm like, oh, I'm going to crush this goal. <laughs> what do you think of that? Do you think that's too negative or do you agree with that? I love it. And I think it depends on the person because the mm. name that comes to mind too is, I think I might be wrong. So don't fact check me. But I think Lindsay Vaughn uh, oh, talked yes. about that, mm. that she, in her family, it was failures that were celebrated. Mm. So at the dinner table, they would get together and they would talk about like, what did you fail at today or this week? And they celebrated it because it showed that they were actually challenging themselves. Mm-hmm. I think for some people that can be good if you have the framing behind it being a good thing, mm. right? How do you frame that for yourself if you don't have the support system at your dinner table? What would you, what would your self-talk be on that, Corey? I think the aspect of goals, like you mentioned, is the mm. key behind it. I think the fact that you made it a game and made it fun to want to hit a number 
is the important framing behind it. Because it goes back to kind of that original statement of the BJ Fogg. So BJ Fogg, if just to give context, he's the, one of the main guys behind why social media apps are addicting. Mm. He understands Thank human you. behavior at, yeah, at a very awesome. high level. <laughs> and he understands like how to get somebody to consistently do something over time. And that was like really what it came down to is it people change best by doing what feels good. Right. And so, like, for you to feel good about hitting the three numbers of failures a day Mm -hmm. is the reason that you were ever to have have framing around it as to wanting to continue to do it. And so, I think there's a few ways you could frame that, right? Like, you could frame the win being around failures, or you could do the other route as well, which is something uh, total side note. I use this app, it's called Habitica. Mm -hmm. Most people have probably never heard of it. Mm -hmm. It's basically the nerdiest, like, World of Warcraft type app you could ever imagine. It basically just gamifies all my habits and tasks and behaviors. And there are certain habits and behaviors on there that are like, uh, this is going to get... Points. Yeah. And, and, also, <laughs> and also too, not to get too personal, but single male in Austin, Texas, there's one on there specifically of like approaching attractive females. Right. Like, and that's very challenging for me. <laughs> but if it happens, there's like a, I click the you button get a and limb I get a on the tree get, or you become, you turn into like what? Yeah. There's like swords like, and shields oh, and wolves nice. and what it's totally nerdy, but it works. Right. And there's a lot of options, but it's basically yeah. just like, again, it's that original idea of like, how do you give yourself wins or victories? And again, it's got to be something very small because if you don't do it, then it's not going to be a win and then you're not going to continue to do it. But yeah. Well, we got personal quick. No, I listen. <laughs> and people are leaning in, Corey, and they're like, now I need to go listen to that guy's podcast. Um, I will attest to the snowball effect. Hmm. I can vividly remember, I tell this story often too, that even pre-entrepreneur, when I was just, quote unquote, on faculty and didn't have any clinical skills over years. I stayed at home with my kids for quite a bit and kind of just quote unquote taught on the side, which was great. And then found myself needing to get a full-time job. And I I was paralyzed with fear, which is so weird because that's so not really me, right? Mm. Like putting a podcast into the world is scary. Like, I don't know what people are going to say, right? Like, I really don't. That's why I make a joke of it and I try to storytell. Like, I'm literally sitting in my closet, people. Like, first of all, it's, you don't have to be perfect to create content, right? But second is just little old me turning on a microphone and putting that voice into the world with my pillars and my values and my mission is really scary. It's not just business sense. At any rate, a friend of mine looked at me. And again, maybe this is more of a negative reward. This was also like 15, 10, 15 years ago. And she said, um, because I had to like start cold calling around for a job. Mm. And she said, you need to make one phone call this week. And then I'm going to take you out for coffee. Love that. Right? So accountability, actually, if I'm being, okay, actually, I, I, I fudged a little bit. I didn't tell the whole truth. She was harsher than that. She said, I will not go for coffee with you this week if you no. don't call somebody. There you go. And she was my peep. And I can, like, I want people to listen if you are in this space that, like, that was scary stuff back then. And now I wouldn't, I make 10 phone calls a day. Like, you reached out to me and said, hey, you want to do this? I was like, yeah, like, we met before we turned on record. And this is a fabulous conversation. We both leaned in the yes, right? So 
I just want people to not skip that. Like if you're having a visceral reaction to what Corey's been saying, like I literally was there and there is a snowball effect. So heed his, his wonderful words. Yeah. And I think the word that always comes to mind for me on this exact same topic is just learning to give yourself grace because oh, yeah. it would be unreasonable for you to think that you wouldn't have any fears or worries or qualms about this thing that you've never done before. Like I can relate so drastically to the, even that story you told about podcasting of, mm-hmm. I think we're both coming up on a hundred episodes and I mm-hmm. still feel like I'm figuring it out and I'm putting in the reps mm-hmm. and I'm still getting better at it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I even that I had fear and worries and anxieties around even the first episode is the most human normal thing ever. And give yourself some grace for that. And that's everything that you want to do in your life of like, it would be unreasonable to think otherwise. So. Grace is such a good word. I used to put it on stickies one really tough time in my life. I put stickies around my house with the word grace on it. I almost got a necklace or, or a bracelet. Um, and you know what? Again, personal, it's quite literally the current parenting lesson that I'm teaching my young adult kids. So this kid in particular that has returned, like he is being really hard on himself. Now, I don't know where he learned that from. Okay, that's <laughs> sarcasm. But like, I don't. he missed out on a few years, I guess, in our home where maybe we are more grace-filled, right? Or maybe he didn't hear it in the I don't know. At any rate, I'm not, but... Literally, my answers to him lately have been how strength comes from compassion. And not like, what did you do on your to-do list today, kid? It's literally like, what did you do that was kind? We actually have now a hug a day because I want, okay, this is super woo. I want his like, okay, I can't believe I'm telling a story. I actually just look at my child and I see that he's just tighter, right? Mm. And I just want his heart chakra. I'm not a yogi, but I believe in chakras. And I think it's a hug. Like I'm doing what I can to like open up his heart chakra because I think he's been on his own for so long and he's almost, and I, I, listen, I'm a single parent. Like there's no male figure around here, right? So I don't know how to teach him how to be a man. And yet I do know, I think he's correlating strength with a hardness. Mm. What do you think about that? I think it's beautiful that you have self-awareness around what's mm-hmm. going on. And I also think too, that we're always our own self or we're self-critic. Yeah, totally. And yeah. it's so easy for us to focus on the gap instead of the gain yeah, that's such of how far we've come yeah. as opposed to like where we want to go. Yeah, We have a tendency for, especially business owners, especially entrepreneurs. We were such forward-looking humans. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I I admittedly maybe spend five to ten percent of my time looking backwards. I'm almost always looking forward. And I don't say that from a place of proud strength. Like yeah. that's cool. I say that from a place of like I need to be intentional about looking where I'm at compared to where I was. So So you're a true visionary, which is really the definition of entrepreneurship. It's like the number one skill, right? I think it's less McCowan, predictable success. Yes. So you're not the operator, you're not the synthesis. I mean, you have those skills, I'm sure, or the processor. You are the visionary. Hundred percent. Fabulous. Okay. So I want to end with our rapid fire questions. We usually ask a few at the end to close things out. Are you good? Are you game? I'm ready. Let's do it. Bring it on. Number one, what is your biggest personal splurge? Personal splurge. Um, So, (laughs) okay. 
So there's a short, little bit, little bit of story here. So it, uh, it was a motorcycle. And oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was a. Can I, can I just like shoot off on this for a moment? I know we're oh, in yeah. rapid fire. Knock your but, socks off. Okay. <laughs> so it's my podcast. I'll change the rules. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, so not that long ago. So when I was living in Minnesota, I've only been Austin for a little over a year, year and four months or so. But back when I was living in Minnesota, I had always wanted to learn how to ride a motorcycle. I was with my with my parents for dinner at one one time, and uh, my dad and my mom actually met riding a motorcycle. He drives like this giant Harley Davidson, and so oh they're super gosh. into it. And he's like, "Why don't you just like try riding my Harley Davidson?" I was like, "Sure, right?" Like not even thinking twice about it. And prior to this, I'd never ridden a motorcycle, right? So looking back, this was the worst idea ever. So he he lines me up on the street on this motorcycle, and he's uh, I I try to get it going and I killed the throttle a couple of times, like engine dies, engine dies. And he says the classic thing I feel like everybody says about a clutch is he's like, just give it a little bit more throttle. Just, you know, give it a little bit more throttle. Like that'll get it going. <laughs> and so I gave him a little bit more throttle. And this was a 1200 pound bike, like top of the line, super powerful, super fast. Right. And so literally in less than a second, I'm going like 30 or 40 miles an hour down the road. Never having been on a motorcycle before. And all of a sudden, there's this oncoming truck in the opposite direction. And I panic, right? And I like, I drop the clutch, the engine dies, I dump the bike onto its side, I roll into the berm. And my dad comes like running down the street and he's like, you did such a good job. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just dumped your bike. Like, this is the worst thing ever. And like, I I told him prior to, I was like, if I wreck your bike, like it's not my fault. I don't know what I'm doing. And he was totally cool with it. He wasn't mad about the bike at all, which was all amazing. But here's the thing that happened though. So that night and for future nights after that, I started to experience for the first time ever in my life, like a real degree of like, of trauma, of anxiety, of like, PTSD from that moment because I didn't have a helmet on, I didn't have gloves, I had nothing. Yeah. And I, I remember laying in bed, like feeling rise and replaying that memory in my brain and really freaking me out. And I was like, how do I deal with this? And this is a perfect example of so much of what we talked about on this episode of like having to put in the reps to kind of get over some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I signed up for a motorcycle class. Mm-hmm. I decided to actually go learn how to actually ride a motorcycle to help myself get over that fear. And I'll never forget like going to this class, it was like a weekend deal. I, those panics would come up, that fear and anxiety would show up in me as I was in this class. And it was like through quote unquote exposure therapy that I've worked through it, got through the class, fell in love with motorcycle driving. And the day after the class, I bought my first motorcycle and I've loved it ever since. And so that's my splurge. <laughs> that's a great splurge. Questions. Where do you have paid help in your life? VAs, virtual assistants. Those are the by far the biggest thing. And for anybody listening to the show, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it because two things. One, it shows you that you value your time mm-hmm. in terms of the things that you should actually be spending your time on. And two, it just tells, it shows you how to start working with other people. So highly recommend it to other people. That's a great one. I never thought of that second one. Perfect. Yeah. Number three, if I could wave my magic money wand and put seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? What would you do with it? So this would be a business expense. Uh-huh. It's business. I mean, somebody actually answered this question once with, well, could I take it out as a salary and pay myself and do whatever I want with it? I think that's what like, most people would want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's almost like a, you know, it's it's a slightly sarcastic, smart-ass answer to the, you know, question, you do with it what you want, if that's what the direction you were thinking. No, I would take my community that I talked about earlier in the show on some sort of trip. 
I would do one of the events. We've always done them here in Austin, but I would probably take it somewhere. Who knows? Costa Rica, mm-hmm. Bali. I don't know. I would probably take them all because they're just people I love. They're people I genuinely care about and I want to support. And I think going somewhere with that group of people would be transformative for all of them. That's probably what I would do. That's such a good answer. Thanks. Well, this has been a total delight. I'm so grateful that you've been here today. I love that we've talked about more than just niche. We've talked about a lot of different things in marketing. We've talked about podcast and again, all about community, which is really, you know, the Corey Hibben brand pillars. So thank you for that. And as we are wrapping up, where can people find you? So... Uh, CoreyHigh.com is my website. And there's my podcast show. It's called The Health Hustle-Austin, Texas. Right now, I've focused it really just lately on the Austin, Texas community. Not that other people don't get value from it. It's really just business entrepreneur owners in the health, fitness, wellness space. That'd be the main thing. Um, And then, yeah, all social media platforms for the most part, Instagram, Facebook, mostly on LinkedIn. I'm pretty bullish on LinkedIn. So if you're other LinkedIners out there, please add me. I'd love that. It'd be great. Thanks for being here today, Corey. Thanks. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time.